Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm David Walker, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Evan Birchfield. Evan, how are you? I'm doing well, David. Uh, we're well rested after a long night of watching the Falcons up till the wee hours. Um, so yeah, let's talk about this game. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, and as usual, we're here to recap the Falcons' unfortunate loss to the Packers in uh, week four of the 2020 NFL season. Uh, obviously, coming into this game, Green Bay was 3-0. The Falcons were 0-3. I think there are a lot of Falcons fans, and myself included, that felt like this was one of those games that the Falcons could surprisingly win, You know, sort of like the San Francisco game last year towards the end of the season where all of a sudden everything hits, you know, Julio Jones goes off, Calvin Ridley goes off. Um, yet things stay pretty much to script based on who these two teams are so far in 2020. Green Bay won this game, obviously, 30-16. to 16, And that, that score, you know, two-score uh, win doesn't even feel like it accurately portrays what happened in this game. Um, there was just a lot to digest, but... Before we get into the game specifics, I do want to go through, as we did last time, the injury situation for the Falcons. This has been a really, really rough season for injuries in the NFL. You know, many people are speculating the lack of a true preseason, the lack of, you know, offseason activities to get players uh, back into health has been uh, at the core of this. And maybe that's true. I don't know if the injuries are any more or less severe than the previous years, but. The Falcons have certainly been bit by injuries uh, in the first quarter of the season. Um, During the game, uh, we had three guys that went out. Uh, I'll start with the the least severe, which is a horrible way to put this. Um, Jalen Hawkins, uh, who was our, I believe, fifth round, fifth or sixth round pick this year, the safety, who was uh, playing in the game, I think, in in place of Keanu Neal. And actually, uh, I think, Evan, I'll, I'll get your opinion on this. I think he was playing, playing actually pretty well, pretty mm-hmm. surprising for a first-year rookie. Yep. Um, he went out, unfortunately, with a concussion later in the game. Um, Julio Jones, uh, who came into the game, uh, he was listed as questionable. He did end up starting, uh, but he left at halftime. He did not come out of the, lo- the locker room after the first half with uh, apparently a re-aggravation of that hamstring injury. Uh, and then the most severe of these was unfortunately uh, safety Demonte Casey, and the team uh, did confirm he did tear his Achilles uh, tendon, which is a devastating injury. Um, for those of you who want to know a little bit more about it, I actually wrote an article this weekend um, at thefalcoholic.com about the fact, and this article was talking about the other two safeties who missed this game, Ricardo Allen and Keanu Neal, both of whom suffered Achilles injuries. And it talks about the fact that almost all NFL players that suffer this injury see a drastic decline in their performance going forward. And now we have literally our third starting safety 
Uh, all three now have Achilles injuries. Uh, KZ, unfortunately, is in the contract year. Uh, devastating injuries. So, Evan, what is your take on these three guys, uh, Jalen Hawkins, Julio, uh, KZ, and what their injuries mean uh, for the long term? Yeah, Hawkins definitely stepped up, um, being able to play more last night and look great until, you know, the concussion happened. And on TV, you could see they showed a shot of him when he was walking to the locker room and he just kind of looked, you know, off balance and stuff. So I feel for him. And, you know, concussions are one of those things where you can't really put a timeline on it. Um, It could be like, oh, he's fine by next week, as we kind of saw with Russell Gage. Or it could be, oh, it's something that lingers on for three weeks or whatever. So obviously that's kind of scary, but we wish the best for him. Um, Julio Jones, you know, shout out to Julio Jones. He uh, broke the franchise record with uh, Roddy White, who had it for 808 receptions, um, franchise record. And Julio Jones broke it last night. And um, yeah, then he unfortunately... I'm not sure when it happened, but um, because it was kind of a surprise for everybody, he just never left the locker room at halftime. Um, And I don't remember seeing him come out on, like, come out to the sidelines either. So uh, we'll learn more about that throughout the week. Um, Because he, as you mentioned, he was questionable going into the game. Um, And then, yeah, uh, KZ, I mean, that was, it was tough because you saw it. If you didn't see the video, um, it was a non contact. He was just kind of covering a dude and uh, instantly, you, you see the second it happened instantly just reaches down um, above his ankle. And yep. yeah, he, you know, anytime you see to play football, you have to be pretty damn tough. And to see football players crying, like, you you know, it's, it's a tough thing to see because you know, they're in pain um, either that, or they also know, Oh, I won't be able to play football this season, you know? Right. Um, yeah. It's just tough to see, especially somebody so young uh, going through that injury and, as you mentioned, we're hit pretty hard by the safety, uh, the injury bug, especially at safety, where Ricardo Allen and Keanu Neal just haven't been playing. Um, now KZ out. Uh, Jamal Carter was back there playing. Um, Sherrod and Eastman got some playing yeah. time uh, once Hawkins left, obviously. Uh, yeah, I mean, the secondary just continues to take hits. I mean, A.J. Terrell's on the uh, COVID list still, um, so he's missed two games because of it. Uh, who knows with that sort of thing when he when he's actually going to come off? Hopefully for next week, because I mean we could use all the help we can get. Yeah, exactly. Um, at this point, fully understand the Falcons fans start clamoring for the team to sign Earl Thomas, who is amazingly still not on an NFL roster right now. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think the ownership. The, the GM, the head coach know that at 0-4, uh, there's, I think, one team in NFL history that's ever started 0-4 and made the playoffs. Like, we're already just four games in, and it's it, this season is essentially over, barring a miraculous turnaround. And I, I just don't know that you can facilitate a miraculous turnaround for a team that is this banged up, uh, in the defense, in the secondary, where literally you have backups at multiple positions in the in the entire secondary. Um, well, what's so interesting any- is anytime somebody's looking good, they get injured right away. Hawkins right. did the same. Um, Darquez Denard looked tremendous. He was, uh, you know, arguably our best secondary player against the Bears, and yep. 
you know, now he's on IR. Hopefully, I think it's just short-term IR, so he should be back, um, you know, sooner rather than later. But, you know, w- when you're 0-4, every game matters, so yeah, it might not exactly. matter when he comes back. <laughs> yeah, and that uh, exactly. To that point, you know, with the, the next game being at home against Carolina, the, the question becomes – does Ricardo Allen get back? Does Keanu Neal get back? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even if they do, one of the arguments I made in that article is neither guy has actually been playing particularly well. And we saw that. We saw that in the first game of the season where uh, Russell Wilson was lighting up the secondary with everyone healthy. So, you know, people are asking, oh, will Arthur Blank, you know, give Dan Quinn a pass because of all the injuries? I don't think so. I think even with when these guys were in the game, they were not playing well. So uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to the Falcons defense here in a second. But Evan, why don't you recap some of what the Falcons did on offense for the game and some of the things that stood out to you? Yeah, so here's some of the stats. Matt Ryan went 20, uh, had 28 completions on 39 attempts, 285 yards for a rating of 92.4. He had no touchdowns and no interceptions. The first time he's done that since exactly week four of last season when we lost to the Tennessee Titans. So it's been a little while. Um, Todd Gurley, I thought, looked really good. Uh, He had 16 carries for 57 yards, two touchdowns. His longest was 13. Um, You know, he he showed some more of that old Todd Gurley where he was literally breaking tackles and, you know, he looked agile. Um, So that was promising to see. Uh, he he was the leading rusher though. Brian Hill only got four carries for ten yards, and Edo right. Smith only two carries for three yards. Like they pretty much committed to Todd Gurley, you know, which they've honestly needed to do all season. But it was that was one of the bright spots, I guess you could say. Um, obviously, Julio Jones left it um, halftime and stayed in the locker room. But before that, he had four receptions on four targets for thirty-two yards. Um, the number one receiver receiving option for Matt Ryan was Alameda Sagias, who saw that coming. Um, he had eight receptions right. for 86 yards. Um, Hayden Hurst, he, he, when you saw Julio Jones was out and Calvin Ridley was not, you know, a non-factor, it was pretty much Zacchaeus and Hurst. Hurst had six targets and four receptions for 51 yards. Um, Christian Blake got a little action, three receptions for 47 yards. But yeah, not a whole lot through the air in the passing game. And Calvin Ridley, he had five targets, but zero receptions, which was honestly shocking because he's been one of the you know, best receivers in the NFL uh, this year and just non-factor on the biggest stage. Um, I don't know how much of that was him being questionable going in the game with an ankle injury or Jari Alexander just you know playing tough defense on him, especially when Julio Jones is out of the game. Um, it's going to make it difficult for Ridley. In fairness to Ridley, though, at the very end, the Falcons were driving for like garbage time stats, basically. And Ridley um, was in the end zone and pretty much would have had a touchdown. But Matt Ryan, uh, I believe he was pressured and he just made an awkward throw. So he, he basically did. threw it slightly behind Ridley. Um, if that ball was on time, though, Ridley would have scored and had his first and only catch of the game. But unfortunately, it was slightly behind him and the Packers defender just broke it up. And yeah, that's pretty much it on the offensive side of things. Yeah, and, and for that pass, I have never seen uh, Twitter uh, have so many different reactions to one passing play out of one game in, in my life. I had people telling me that Matt Ryan's arm was cooked. 
I had people telling me that uh, Calvin Ridley is a drop machine. And I'm oh, like, uh, I feel like the that play was sort of symbolic of this entire season. Almost there, you know, to your point. Mm-hmm. Ryan was slightly off. It did hit, you know, Ridley in the hands. The defender made a great play. Perhaps if Ryan puts a little bit more velocity, gets it there a split second sooner, it's it's a touchdown. And that really does feel that that is emblematic of this 2020 Falcons team. Uh, games that were just there, like the Dallas game. Games that were just there, like the Bears game. Uh, plays that were just there, like that pass to to Ridley. That is really where this team feels like they're at. And mm-hmm. for those that feel like, oh, this team is much better than their own four record. I mean, that probably would be your evidence to say, look at you know, how close they were in all these games. Um, but honestly, that just feels like if, if you're going to pick one play out of the season and say, what defines the 2020 Falcons? It is that one for me. Um, <laughs> Especially there was only three minutes left, um, three minutes and 44 seconds left. And the right. score was 26 to 10. So it was before, you know, the Packers scored more. Um, it, like it wasn't going to do anything. So I don't really understand why people would be frustrated. Yeah, I mean, the, the Falcons at that point were down, you know, even if they make the, the two-point conversion, they have to get the onside kick. And, and it, yeah, it, it, it was pretty much out of reach. But um, I, I think it's just the frustration with this team and with the players and with the offense and everything. So um, on the defensive – or yeah, let me see here, the Packers defense, um, what they did against the Falcons offense. Look, coming in, the, the Packers defense – was uh, not known, you know, this year for being like a dominant unit. Mm-hmm. They've had they have some good players, uh, and as you mentioned, Jair Alexander, I think is is a phenomenal uh, corner. But otherwise, they, they had some injuries. Like they're they're into their backup linebackers. Yeah. Uh, they were Devontae missing a few Adams guys, play. and that yeah, was their it, big uh, receiving you know option, and just he didn't play. Yeah, so the, clearly the Packers came in with injuries as well, but their defense apparently stepped up. I mean, let's start first with Zadarius Smith, who had three sacks, four mm-hmm. tackles for loss against the Falcons. Uh, and he, several of his sacks were drive killers. And, uh, you know, that was – most of his sacks came up the middle. So that came against uh, – I believe one of them was against uh, Matt Hennessy, who, again, was being rotated in at left guard with James Carpenter. Um, and likewise, I think one of the sacks was him splitting the difference between uh, – uh, Chris Lindstrom and, and Caleb McGarry. But regardless, three sacks from one player. Uh, Raven Green had a sack. So they had four sacks on the game. And honestly, I, this was not a Green Bay team that's known for you know their fierce pass rush. And yet, again, you know the Falcons sort of give, gave up uh, <laughs> four sacks in this game. Um, Ty Summers and Zadarius Smith both had six uh, tackles in the game. Uh, Darnell Savage with five, Adrian Amos with four. Uh, and I think that, you know, some of the standout players in this game, you got to go to Jair Alexander. You know, he was covering Calvin Ridley for the majority of the game. As we already mentioned, Ridley did nothing. You know, he, he was targeted five times. And I would argue, and I know I'm going to get some hate about this, but we have to talk honestly about this team. I would argue there were several passes that uh, were just off target where yeah. it wasn't necessarily Ridley's fault. In fact, the first pass of the game, I saw a lot of people say, oh, well, Ridley should have caught that. Honestly, Matt Ryan should have thrown that ball sooner and with more confidence. And if he does, Ridley on that sluggo route has an easy touchdown. 
Um, and instead it's, you know, Ridley has to try to make a circus catch and, and can't pull it in. And I don't feel like that's a fair play to put on Ridley's shoulders. And the rest of the game, you know, Alexander was really stuck to his hip. Uh, to your point earlier, I, I do think his ankle injury may have factored into that. So I don't want to, you know, beat up on Ridley too much, but Alexander's a good corner. And I think he showed that in this game. Yeah. Um, and late in it, you saw that Ridley actually was spending a lot of time on the sidelines, which I think played into the whole ankle thing because Alameda Zacchaeus, um, even Christian Blake was out there for the majority yep. of, you know, towards the end of the game. Obviously, the game's nearing the end. You're down, you know, 30 to 16. So it's not worth, you know, having him re injure it. But he did end up coming back in later on. So something to monitor, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And it looked like they were trying to split his snaps with other guys. Mm-hmm. So it, it was an indication that, you know, and he came into this game questionable as well. Uh, he and Julio both. So, uh, you know, we'll see how he bounces back from this. I'm not worried about Ridley. I, I feel like this was one of those games where it was a perfect storm of things that happened. Ryan being off, the offensive line being off, uh, just the whole, you know, the coaching on the offensive side of the ball being mostly terrible. Uh, so I, I don't want to put this too much on the players alone. I, I feel like the conversation around the Falcons has to be about the entire organization. It's not just about the players it's not just about the quarterback or the wide receiver and what they did or didn't do. We also have to include guys like Dirk Cutter, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn into the conversation of what happened in a game like this, uh, which we will do in the next half of the podcast. Um, so on that note, before we jump into what the Falcons defense did and what the Packers offense did, oh my God, what the Packers offense did. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Advertiser Content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down, we break down who will be cutting, cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. I'm David Walker. I'm joined by Evan Birchfield. We were talking about the Falcons' loss in Green Bay to the Packers 30-16 to in Week 4 of the 2020 NFL season. Evan, the uh, Falcons' defense was virtually unable to stop anything <laughs> that the Packers offense did. It, it, I had said on Twitter, I felt like uh, the Packers were playing around with the Falcons defense. Like they were just toying with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, why don't you cover some of what the Packers did offensively? Because some of these numbers are just, they're sort of ridiculous uh, when you look at them holistically. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers is just, I mean, the second you think something's wrong, like he's slowing down in his career, he just 
bounces back. Um, he's playing out of his mind right now nationally. He had 27 completions on 33 attempts, 327 yards, four touchdowns. Um, <laughs> just, I mean, 147.5 passer rating. Like, it's it doesn't get much better than that. Um, but he he was out there just having fun, to be honest. He was smiling the entire time, and they kept showing it. Yeah. Um, Aaron Jones, I thought had a really good day, 15 carries, 71 yards, but he was also used a lot because the Packers only had four wide receivers on their roster due to injuries. Um, as we talked about Devonte Adams, but they were also with Alan Lazard who had a core muscle injury and he was out for a while. Um, yep. but he missed this game. So they only have four receivers. So they used a lot of, uh, non receivers. You could say, uh, Robert Tanyan, who, if you read my fantasy article on Friday, that was my sleeper of the week, and he went. <laughs> you nailed longer. it, buddy. Yeah, I mean, he was only owned in seven percent of fantasy leagues. So, um, to the people that you know took a flyer on him, you know, it paid off. He had six receptions for ninety-eight yards and three touchdowns. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it. It looked like I know he wears eighty-five, but. It looked like Kittle out there for the 49ers. Like <laughs> Rodgers would just kind of toss it anywhere near him, and Tanyan was just bulldozing into the end zone. Um, then you had Jamal Williams, who got a lot of action, eight targets, eight receptions on 95 yards, and this is their backup running back. So you can kind of yeah. see that they, you know, they kind of shied away from their wide receivers because, I mean, he wasn't really familiar with a couple of them. Um, you look at Valdez Scantling, who came in as probably his most trusted wide receiver and he had four receptions for 45 yards um as i mentioned aaron jones had five receptions 40 yards and a touchdown so that made him have a pretty good day uh yeah i mean the packers offense was very tough to stop from beginning to end and um you know they put up 30 on us which you know you're going to talk about the defense but that's four straight games where we've allowed 30 or more points (laughs) Oh, yeah. I want to add this one last stat um, that came off of uh, PFF. Uh, Our co-writer, Eric Robinson, posted this in our chat a little bit earlier today. Um, And it it showed Aaron Rodgers' stats when targeting running backs or tight ends versus the Falcons on uh, Monday night. He was 20 for 20, literally no incompletions, 241 yards for four touchdowns. (laughs) I mean... I, I not the the Falcons couldn't stop one single pass to the running backs or tight ends. Not one. Not a single one. So that is really a stunning sort of level of uh, incompetence from the Falcons defense. And again, you know, we can go into the fact that we were into backups of backups of safeties just about um, with Ricardo Allen, Keanu Neal, uh, Jalen Hawkins, uh, DeMonte KZ, all out at you know one point in the game. And that is certainly a fair argument. But that level of production where you literally can't stop anything, uh, I've seen third stringers find a way to stop at least one play. And that didn't happen. Uh, so let's get to some of those Falcons defensive stats. Um, Charles Harris had a sack on the day and I think we were talking about this earlier, Evan. He's he feels like a a player that was actually a good move for the Falcons, and you know, arguably someone that uh, you know in the rash of um, injuries they've had, he he's actually stepped up somewhat and played pretty well recently. Yeah, um, 
and he also was the top PFF rated uh, defender on our team this week. Yeah. Um, although if you watch the game, the sack kind of fell, you know, Aaron Rodgers right. kind of fell into him. Um, it was probably the easiest sack you'll ever see. But aside from that, <laughs> he has played really good. And it's one of the few bright spots, you know, on this team where the Dolphins just couldn't get anything out of him, basically gave him away to us. Um, so, yeah, I, I would like to see him get more playing time going forward, especially if tax injury um, kind of lingers on, you know, them groin injuries. They, uh, you know, it, it's no telling when he's going to be 100% healthy. So. Yeah, having depth kind of like that where Harris can come in and play maybe not lights out, but like, you know, pretty decent. Um, that's going to benefit us. Yeah, exactly. Um, guys that led the team in tackles, Deion Jones and Kendall Sheffield both had six foyer with five Jamal Carter with four and then a handful of guys uh, down from there. Uh, this was by and large a, a game where I think across the entire roster on the defense it was just they all looked lost and this includes you know Deion Jones I mean Grady Jarrett is always going to be Grady Jarrett he is like the only consistently good player on this defense but I think even when you begin to see even Deion Jones out of place and missing plays it you have to look around and say okay this is a guy who is legitimately one of the best coverage linebackers in the league he was a pro bowler just a few years ago uh, he is immensely talented, and now even he is beginning to struggle. And to me, and I think to many fans, that that just points to sort of the ineptitude of the coaching. And I don't want to get into the the point of just blaming everything on the coaching because I don't think that's fair either. But when you do begin to see guys play below their normal standards, and it's not one guy, it's not two guys, it becomes three or four guys and it becomes five guys, and it becomes the whole defense. I think that's when you have to look and say, okay, there is a larger systemic problem other than just, oh, all these guys suck. Like that doesn't, the math doesn't add up. Not all these guys suck. You can't convince me that Grady Jarrett and Deion Jones are terrible players. That's, I don't buy that. Um, and now it, it forces us to, to look, and I think many fans agree that systemically there is an issue and when you talk about systemic issues with a, a football team, you, you have to look at culture and coaching. Um, and that is where we're at. And I think it is time for us to talk about what the team looks like after an 0-4 start. The, the first time, Evan, since 1999. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what were you telling us in the chat? How old were you? I was eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Watching Power Rangers and Rugrats. Oh my God. Um, so the, you know, for, uh, comparison, 1999, uh, was the last time that, uh, Ricky Nelson was, uh, uh, a relevant, uh, musician. So, uh, Ricky Martin, pardon me, not Ricky Nelson. Oh, I was going to say, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my old man is coming out. Uh, so Evan, give me your take on what you think the situation is with Dan Quinn. We've talked about this uh, I know you you saw a report from Ian Rappaport. So what do you mm -hmm. think uh, is the likely future for Dan Quinn? When do you think it will happen? What is what is your prediction here? Yeah, um, you know, last week I did an article on it. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network basically said that, and we don't know 
you know, you got to keep in mind, we don't know where his, what, who his source is and stuff, where he got this information, but basically said that the next two games, which would have been the Packers and the Panthers, the upcoming game, um, would pretty much determine uh, Dan Quinn's fate as if you needed two more games, but that's here nor there. Um, Regardless, the Packers game was a loss and the move could be made after the Panthers game and the Panthers are no pushover. Like they just bullied the Arizona Cardinals who everybody thought was a pretty good team um, this season. So that's not going to be just a freebie as it was uh, more recent years, but you know, that's where, that's where I believe the move is going to happen. If it's going to happen, if not, you know, maybe the Falcons go on a little bit of a run and Arthur Bling's, doing everything he can to not fire Dan Quinn. Because at this point, <laughs> I'd like to hear an actual argument for keeping Dan Quinn. Um, I mean, aside from, like, cool slogans and stuff, like, I like Dan Quinn, but he's not doing anything for this team. As I mentioned, they're giving up 30-plus points a game, and he's a defensive mind. Um, and he's not even calling the defensive plays, so why? what are you doing here? And the sad part of this whole thing is the season's a wash. Um Firing Dan Quinn is just kind of more of a statement for the fans to go, okay, so there will be changes. But the team's not just going to all of a sudden get better, um, whether you put Ulbrich in at head co- interim head coach or whatever. Right. Um, the season's done. and It's only, you know, now we're in week five. Uh, I think that's the unfortunate <laughs> part. Um, but it needs a culture change because of the stink they have on them right now of being choke artists and – you know, the yeah. Browns have gone through that whole thing where they needed a culture change because they were known for what? Having a, a different quarterback every week, um, being the Browns who just like are awful all the time. And, you know, you could debate if they've gotten out of it, but they've gotten to a level where you're not constantly thinking, oh, they're the worst team in the NFL. Like they're playing competitive football right now, um, as easy as it is to make fun of them and stuff. But, the Falcons have that stink on them nationally where the national media's got, you know, a hold of it and they're not letting go. They mention the Falcons, you know, blowing those two leads all the time. Um, <laughs> it's a shame, but you need a culture change. You got to get rid of uh, Thomas Dimitrov because no head coach who wants to come in and put in a system is going to come in with Dimitrov. Um, just need a total redo of everything. Um, and I think what's honestly, and I've mentioned it, I mentioned it on Kevin's show, the Falcolic Live, that I think what's also helping Dan Quinn is because Blank isn't seeing, like right now, because of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, that there's not full crowds, not that there was before, but you know, you can't right. have more. I think last, last uh, home game, they allowed 500 people to attend. Um, now this weekend's going to be like the first actual fans they're going to allow. Uh, I don't know the exact number yet, but I imagine it's like 2000 or something. So not seeing that the stadium isn't filled with fans, I think is helping because when it comes to an owner, they're going to make their decision based on money, you know, um, ticket sales. If the fans aren't showing up, then that's something they look at and the fans can't be showing up because they haven't allowed it yet. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I think the Panthers is really going to be the the measuring stick. And I think there's another reason, and I've mentioned this to several people on Twitter, 
but it has to do with logistics. The Falcons are coming off a Monday night football game uh, and they're coming back home. They're coming back, you know, from being on the road. And that is difficult for a short week for coaches to plan for in normal circumstances. Um, so it's already going to be hard enough for them to prepare for the game Sunday against Carolina. Uh, if you make a coaching change right in the middle of this, you're basically handicapping whoever that coach is by a day and a half. Cause normally that Sunday afternoon game, you know, they can hit the, the ground running uh, Sunday evening into the, you know, into Monday morning. Uh, realistically, you know, the Falcons are, they're probably getting a late start on Tuesday. Uh, so you're, you're, you're already down sort of 36 hours uh, in from a planning and preparation standpoint. And I realize you guys are going to say, and, and many of you have said this to me, um, who cares? They're going to lose anyways. It doesn't matter. Well, you don't like, here's the thing. And I know people want to tank, but you, you just simply don't do that. You don't intentionally try to shorthand your team regardless of the circumstances, regardless of whether you think Dan Quinn needs to be fired right now, which I agree with. I, I think he needs to be fired. But right now, this week is quite possibly the worst possible week to do it. And you know, it, when you have this one more game and you're going to be at home, you're going to be at home you know, facing the Panthers, that feels like the better game to say, okay, if you can't turn it around here against a division rival, our first division game, you can't turn it around here, then it's pretty clear. Own five, we're not going anywhere. We'll make the change before we go on the road. Uh, and Evan, to your point, you know some of these games coming up: Panthers mm-hmm. um, at the Vikings, who looked really good to, against the Texans and got uh, Bill right. O'Brien fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then the Lions. The Lions may be you know just as hapless a team this year. Uh, the Panthers again. So realistically. You could see the Falcons being 0 and 8 after the first eight games. So mm-hmm. um, there are no surefire games in there. Uh, and, and, you know, if I'm Arthur Blank, I look at that schedule and I think you've got to prove it against the Panthers because this is not going to get any easier over the, the remaining stretch of games. Just curious, um, seeing the rest of the schedule now that we're four games in and we kind of have a, we get a sense of what this team is. Um, and seeing that the team's allowing 30 or more points a game, like when you look at the schedule in large, I see maybe two wins. Like we don't even have one win yet. I think the Buff, uh, not Buffalo, the uh, Denver Broncos in week nine is possibly a win. Possibly. Um, that yeah. was the game that was supposed to be played in London. Um, but that's obviously going to be in Atlanta now. Um, that's possibly a win. Maybe one of the Panthers games. Um, but I mean that stretch after the bye week, I cannot get out of my head. Uh, yeah. Playing the Saints, the Raiders, the Saints, the Chargers, who looked really good against Tampa, and exactly. then the final three games: Tampa, Chiefs, Tampa. Like, Tampa. yeah, it, it doesn't get any easier. And that's the thing is, like last year, you know, a lot of people mentioned that run they had towards the end. Like we played the Saints, you know, and it was tough, and we beat them, but then we ended up losing, and we played the 49ers, but. I mean, all of these games, the Falcons should currently be underdogs or considered underdogs in. Um, they should be for the remainder of the season. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Point. I mean, honestly, you know, this is the confidence level I have in them. If they go from week 11 to week 17 and only lose one game, like that'd be pretty damn impressive. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, but that it just couldn't happen. Nope. And 
I think at this point, most of us are resigned to the idea that this is going to be a, a, a terrible season. I hope they prove me wrong. I hope they go on an incredible run and win the Super Bowl and, and blow all of our minds. I just am not going to bet a single dime on that happening at this point. Um, mm-hmm. All right. With that, Evan, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you, what you've got going on? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Evan Birchfield and all my stuff at the Falcolic where you can read all of our talented writers' content um, throughout the week. Win or lose, uh, we got a bunch of stuff on there to read and check out. Um, you can also find me uh, doing the Fantasy Outlook uh, uh, preview for whatever the weekend's game is on Friday. Um, as I mentioned, that Robert Tanyan was my uh, sleeper pick, and he went bonkers in that game. So <laughs> we'll see who, who it is against the Carolina Panthers. Um, also on Tuesday, so later today, um, I have statistically speaking where I basically mention records or stats where, you know, current Falcons are in terms of like nationally ranked, um, whether it's passing yards or touchdowns or whatever. So that's kind of fun to check out, but yeah. Um, thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, me and DW will be back next week, uh, doing the Panthers game. Absolutely. Uh, as for me, guys, you can find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates for this podcast at Falcoholic Pod, And as Evan mentioned, our articles daily at TheFalcoholic.com. So for Evan Birchfield, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. Talk with you next time.